while we're getting the microphones and the, uh, what is that thing? It's not a pulpit anymore. What is it? It's a podium. I want to invite you to do something this week. And uh, to do so, I'll give you permission to get out your phones. You know, you know you're not supposed to have them during service. because You're supposed to be listening to the preacher and all that. Uh, little joke there. So, yeah, take your phones out and whatever you have for a reminder uh, app or something like that, I want to invite you for the next three nights, tonight, Monday, and Tuesday nights, to remind yourself to pray for our Cambodia team. Why at 8 o'clock or so these next three nights? Well, with the time differences, that's 8 o'clock tomorrow morning for them. And so starting tomorrow morning, the team will be with hopefully 250-plus pastors and, and their wives and leaders as they start through the pastor's conference. Pray however you feel led. If you want to pray for Lee tonight, Matt tomorrow, Nathan the next night, however you like to do it, it's just fine. It'll all be work out very good. And then they will be back on Thursday night. That's not right. Well, it's right technically. They get back at 11.59 p.m. Thursday night. So it's Friday morning by the time we get home. So yeah, I'll just invite you to do that, to pray for them as they begin the pastor's conference. And they will know that you're praying for them at the very moment they're getting ready to start with God's Word. And just as a little aside, I don't think there's been a change. The last I heard, Lee picks out the either a book of the New Testament or passages or whatever. And last that I'd heard what he was feeling led to share with them was out of 1 John, which is just an amazing book. So you could even read a chapter a night uh, and uh, follow along with them as they're teaching. So that being said, there's your invitation to pray for them. Good morning. It's good to be with you. I always appreciate when Lee gives me an opportunity to come up and share during his absence. I think we're all home folks this morning. That's how we like to say it. But if you're new here or visiting my name is Steve Seabury. I'm the missions director for Church at the Crossing, and so it's, it's a great opportunity to be here. Last two weeks, um, Lee has been preaching on the, he, the title that he gave to his last two weeks of sermons has been Unseen Battles, uh, two really wonderful weeks of some basics that we needed to be reminded of about unseen battles. I w- was led in my own study and preparation to take that idea and continue it, but with just a little bit of a twist. Not so much as Lee was sharing with us, he was talking about Satan and his strategies and who Satan is and, and that, that particular uh, approach to it. I want to take it the different direction and talk about Christ. That'll be how I'll take it. Um, and you'll see in the scriptures that'll come up in just a little bit more, uh, a little bit later what we're doing with, what we're dealing with. So here's the the general question. Um, Unseen battles. Is that a new phenomenon or has it been a part of our Christian walk, our Christian experience for generations, centuries, millennia? What do you think? Very normative. I hear yes, absolutely. Yeah, it's normative. It it is a part and parcel of of who we are as followers of Christ. Um, But if you get down a little bit more specific and a little bit more personal, and this is This is my personal um, reflections on unseen battles uh, uh, between Christianity and those unseen forces. This will give you an insight into my age. 
no surprise that uh, I'm on one end of the spectrum from many of you. When I was a child, literally in my early childhood days and up into junior high days, the threat, the unseen battle that really did, you could see it somewhat, was communism. Christianity versus communism. Um, And that colored how we as Christians uh, would think about the, the, the battle between the unseen forces of good and evil. As I got to be a little bit older, young adult, young married, uh, raising a family, there was another ism that popped up. And again, this will show the dating of some of us. It was called secular humanism. And I see a few heads nodding, but some of you are going, well, what's he talking about? When was the last time you heard that phrase, secular humanism? I don't hear it anymore. Uh, but it was, it, was a, it was a powerful ism, I guarantee you, uh, in those days. Well, time passes a little bit more. I'm now, I guess you would call me a median adult. I'm not into the senior citizen yet. But there was another ism that kind of started. You could hear it in the news, people talking. Moral relativism. Now, all these isms have definitions to them. Some of them are pretty easy to understand. Moral relativism uh, is one of the easiest ones, and it, it kind of flashes back to the 60s and 70s, and basically it means if it feels good, do it. You know, moral is, morals are relative. Uh, if, well, if it's something that you like, then just do it. There's, there's, no, there's no right, there's no wrong, and that's where the relative part comes in. Uh, if it's right for you, it's right. If it's not right for you, that's okay. And, you know, we encountered that several years ago I guess it would have been pre-COVID. That's kind of where I'm dating a lot of my examples and illustrations is pre-COVID and post-COVID. When we took a few of our trips up to Canada and we were starting with some uh, mission experiences up there, which we've not been able to uh, continue, recontinue because of a lot of different factors, but COVID put a shutdown to that. Uh, You couldn't even travel into Canada from the US. But when we were taking those trips up there, one of the things that our Canadian uh, church planter contacts would share with our mission teams is you, it, it's not that difficult to sit down and talk with uh, your basic Canadian. They're very friendly. I mean, they're not enemies or anything. And sit down and talk over, um, and I'll test you, you people who have been to Canada, what kind of coffee? Tim Hortons, thank you. Yeah, you could sit down over a cup of coffee and you could talk a little bit and you can get around to religious talk and they're very happy to talk with you about religion and they're smiling and sipping their coffee and eating their donuts and all of a sudden when you get to the end, uh, maybe there's a leading question as you've been sharing your faith and they would say, you know, brother, sister, that is just wonderful. I'm glad that works for you, but isn't this not for me? Relativism. And so the isms just continue. So where I wanted to go with this today is to simply say, if the isms, the things that are unseen, that are threats to us, uh, the battles that Satan keeps bringing our way that are unseen, they have always been around and they always will be around. Now, this is not my scripture for the day, but I do want us to take a peek at it, and I'm pretty sure it's going to be on the screen. I made the error of not marking my Bible, but I'll find it very quickly. And it's in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. Do we have it on the screen? Yeah, there we go. I knew our tech people were with it. So in verse 3, and wouldn't you know it's on a page turn. All right. 
For the time will come, as Paul is writing to his dear son in the faith, Timothy, and by the way, remember, this was the last letter that Paul wrote before his execution. And this is the last chapter of the last letter that Paul wrote. And so maybe I'm imagining this. I'm not, I'm not sure. But it seems to me I'm going to do a lot of wrap-up stuff uh, that is so important for Timothy and in the Holy Spirit's guidance, it's important for us. Anyway, there will be a time coming when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. Now, I didn't put verse 5 up there, but I'll read it. But you, Timothy, and by extension, us, keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. So you see, I look at that as a prophetic word. There will be times coming. There are times now. We're living in times now when people get itching ears and the latest new word comes up, the latest new idea, and people turn to listen to it and go, ooh, that sounds cool. Oh, wow, I've never thought of that. That's a new word. Paul is not saying discount it. He's saying be careful. Be careful. There will be a time coming, and it will increase when the ears will be itching to listen to the newest and the latest thing that has come down the road. So what do we do with it? How do we handle it? And this is where our scripture takes us today. I, I've, I struggle with titles. Most of the time when I write a sermon or get ready to share, I've got to have a title that gets me started and keeps me locked in on where we're going. Um, I, I started to use Lee's and call it Unseen Battles Part 3, but that's his. I'm not going to take from him. So I just called it my anchor. My anchor when times are changing, when times are, are uh, shifting, when there's instability. Where is your anchor? And that takes us to our scripture today, which is 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And I put down in my notes, it's 1 through 20, but I'm going to do some skipping and chopping back and forth with your understanding. Now, as you're looking at it, either on the screen or in your Bibles, be reminded of this. Paul wrote 1 Corinthians for a particular reason to a particular group of people to, to correct particular problems. 16 chapters in the book, and as I'm doing my reading and my research and, and reading commentaries and just kind of getting my mind into the flow of what's been going on here, one author suggested, and I reflected on this, and I think there's some, some, some wisdom to it. He reflected on it that chapters 1 through 14, if you want to use musical terminology, that's all the buildup to which the climax is chapter 15, that all the other 14 chapters are addressing specific problems. And those of you who've read enough of 1 Corinthians to remember, they were full of problems, divisions, um, incest, uh, people taking people to, to court, lawsuits, uh, problems with do we eat meat sacrificed to idols, problems with division in the church, problems with disorder in the church. I mean, boom, 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 chapter after chapter after chapter, put out this fire, put out that fire, put out this fire, put out that fire, and then we get to chapter 15. And he says, now, let me put a capstone on this. Let me put all this into perspective. 
And I, that's what helps me when I'm thinking about these unseen battles. What he's fixing to say now is, as he uses in the phrase in just a few verses, of extreme importance. And he's writing to Christians. Don't forget that. Verse 1 says, now brothers and sisters. Just stop right there for a second. He's not writing it to uh, pagan, power-hungry, political Romans. He's not writing it to uh, philosophical, wisdom-driven Greeks. He's not writing it to Jews. Now, some of these people may have come from those backgrounds, but they're Christians. He'll tell us that in just a few minutes, and he tells us just with those two words, brothers and sisters. I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you. All right, put a pause there for a minute. I'm going to put you guys on a hot spot, hot spot right now, put you on the hot seat. Do you ever have to be reminded of things? Now, come on. Yeah, I hear some of the ladies going, yeah, for sure, yeah, yes, to be reminded. I have to be reminded of things. Why, why do we need to be reminded? Why do we need to be reminded about something? You know, and, and ladies, we'll put you on the spot. Your husband says, or or your significant other, significant other says, hey, says this. Later on, they ask, uh, did you take care of that? No, no, I forgot. Why do we need to be reminded? There is a, a train of thought that I, have, I think it's out there that I think has a lot of truth to it, and that is, if something is that important to you, you will remember it. Now, what's the corollary? Well, I didn't remember it, so it must not be that important to me. So it's not exactly a carryover to what we're talking about here. But the truth is, is we need to be reminded of things from time to time. We must have reminders. And in this case, Paul says, now look, folks, you've given your lives to Christ. I know you have. I'm calling you my brothers. I'm calling you my sisters. But I need to remind you of something. I need to remind you of the gospel that I preach to you. And by the way, this is the fifth. This was a surprise to me as I'm looking at some of my commentaries. This is the fifth time in this book that he had talked about the gospel that he had preached to them. Comes in in chapter 1, chapter 4, chapter 8, and let me see, chapter 11. So now it's the fifth time, and he's about to leave. He's about to close this book out, this letter out. And he says, I need to remind you of this. I need to remind you of the gospel that I had preached to you. And it wasn't just preaching to them because as the verse goes on, he says, I preached it to you, you received it, and it was on this that you took your stand. So it was not just simply a transmission of information of the gospel. They listened to him, they accepted it, and they planted their flag. And they said, we are taking our stand. Now, folks, that doesn't mean as much to us unless we really think deeply, deeply into it because they were coming from all sorts of other cultural backgrounds. I mentioned two of them, the Greeks and the Romans. In the Roman world, power was everything. Politics was everything. And to turn your back on that, to say, I'm now taking my stand with what you have shared with me, Paul, the things that you told me about Jesus... I'm taking them in my life, and I'm planting my flag. And on the Greek side, they prized wisdom higher than anything that you can imagine. And for them to turn their backs on that 
and to say, I understand what you're saying and I accept it and I'm planting my flag on it. That is where I will stay. That was significant, very important to them. Why do you have to remind them of it then? If it was that important to them, why did he have to remind them of it? And I admit, when I read this, I scratch my head a little bit, and I probably get a little egotistical and go, you know, Jesus, you won't have to remind me. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to turn my back on you. Uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm better than those people were. Well, do you hear the sound of the brakes screeching right there as Jesus says, Steve, hold on. Hold on just a minute. Pride goes before a fall. So something in there is true for all of us. We must be reminded. And if it is true that we are faced, and it is, and we'll be facing, it is true, unseen battles against our Christian faith, we must have something that we put our flag in and that we anchor ourselves on. That's why I asked Matt and then Danny to sing Cornerstone we have got to have a cornerstone in our faith that is absolutely unchanging. Nothing will shake it. We will die for it. No matter what somebody else says, no matter how attractive it sounds, no matter how much our ears itch to embrace it, we have got to have that fill in the blank. Let's continue with our scripture. Verse 2 says, By this gospel you were saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise you would have believed in vain. And then I have to chop this verse up. Verse 3, For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. Now hold it right there. I know you want to read further. Don't do it. What I received, where did Paul receive it, by the way? Where did he receive that gospel? He got it from Jesus himself. He got it from Jesus himself. He didn't make it up. He got it from God himself, from Jesus himself. He received and he passed it on. And not just him, by the way, all the apostles. That was what was growing in those years after Jesus' resurrection was called the apostolic tradition. And it was the tradition that now has come through in these books we have in our New Testament. The Gospels were those historical accounts and then the letters of Paul. That is the Christian tradition. He received it, and he passed it on to you as of first importance. Now, if you have a paper Bible or even an electronic one where you can do underlining, I, I, would, I would suggest and invite you to think clearly and, and underline that of first importance. Now, I'm reading the NIV. The other, script, the other translations will have it a little bit differently, perhaps. But there is that cornerstone word. We just sang cornerstone, cornerstone. So what Paul is fixing to say in the next few words is that cornerstone. This is what he's saying, I've got to remind you. You've got to remember this. You cannot be shaken. You must stay with this of first importance. And then back to the underlying in your Bible. I haven't done it yet. This is a brand new one. I have, I've got my old Bibles are marked up so much. and I just can't make myself make the first mark in it, but I will eventually. We have four phrases in the NIV that all start with the word that. This is Paul's anchor. Are you ready? That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried. 
that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the 12. Now, Paul's right there. We'll go further in just a second. Four that's. Now, some may say, no, Steve, there's only three. I think there's four. I mean, the word that is there in my translation. But I, I, I want all four of them because here's what it is. Death, burial, resurrection, appearance. Appearance says. Now, we, we have seen those first three reenacted and pictured often recently, haven't we, when we have baptisms. Death, burial, resurrection. Do you see why the appearances are important too? They validate the other, validate the third one. You know, there were, there were uh, theories of, of the resurrection that people were trying to disprove it, and there still are today. You can find New Testament scholars who jump through hoop after hoop after hoop to try to show that, well, you know, here's a way to understand the resurrection. It really didn't happen if you think thus and so and thus and so. Appearances. And I stopped, but I really should have gone further because it says that he appeared to Cephas, Peter, and then to the 12, verse 6. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, uh, though some have fallen asleep. They've died. Verse 7, and then he appeared to James and then to all the apostles. And last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. And so he didn't just stop with that, that one recounting of the appearance. Imagine that you're in a crowd and someone's going down a list of whatever. I, I, this is totally non-scriptural, but just you're in a crowd of something. And they're going down the list of things and they're saying this and this and this and this and this and this. And at some point, practically none of those have any, any uh, effect or any, any relevance to you. But at some point... You go, oh, yeah, yeah, that, that's relevant to me. I understand that one. And so you have, in this case, all these, 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 um, these recounting of the appearances. First of all, to Cephas. By the way, I love that the Holy Spirit led Paul to put in Peter's name first. Whose name really needed to be first? It's Peter, because Peter was the leader of the band, but also Peter had denied Christ. Of all the denials, man, his was, his was a big one. And so God in his love led Paul to put in Peter's name first. Then why the 12? Why separate the 12 from the apostles? Well, it's scriptural. The 12 was that original band of close followers, Peter, James, John, Matthew, the list goes on. But then he keeps on going. Uh, I would love to be a fly on the wall and, and, and understand more about the 500 at one time. You know, we're, we're amazed at the end of the book of Luke and the end of the book of John where Jesus makes his appearance in the upper room and the disciples are gathered there. Some suggest it could have been as many as 100 to 120 gathered together. But very specifically, Luke reports in this, uh, or Paul reports in this case, 500 at one time. Were they all together in prayer? Uh, why would you get 500 people together at one time, 500 Christians at one time? Whatever it was, there was Jesus in their midst. And Paul goes on to say, do you doubt me? Do you question what I'm saying here? They're here. Go talk to them. And now some of them have died, but there's, there's a whole lot of them still alive. And then he goes on to mention 
of course, James, the brother of Jesus, and then finally to all the rest of the apostles. And then Paul, in his humility, says, well, he also appeared to me. And the phraseology that he uses here is really quite benign. He says, he appeared to me as one abnormally born. Um, one commentary says that this can also be translated in the Greek as uh, that Paul was, in Christian terms, was a miscarriage, that he was the worst of all, but he still appeared to me. So you have all of this stuff going on. They needed the reminders. They had this, this statement about preaching and taking your stand, and then he has those four that's. So I want to suggest to you in that situation that we should continue. It's very clear in Paul's letters that we should continue in our Christian growth. He talks about our Christian walk, which is our way of life. And he talks about being fed with milk, and he talks about being mature in the faith. There is a growth aspect to being in Christian life. Where it gets dangerous, and this is where he's, a, he's approaching this with them, be very, very careful that in your growth, you don't stray from the fundamentals. You don't stray from the basics. And by the way, I need to throw in here this very, I think it's obvious statement, but, but I need to just make sure we understand it. This is, these four that's, death, burial, resurrection, and appearances, that's for right here. There are more fundamentals to the faith. That's just not right here. They come from all over the New Testament as we, we dig and we find and, and we understand these are our fundamentals that make us different. This is just the issue right here that Paul is facing. And we will see why in just a few minutes. So we should always be aware and be eager to grow in our faith. Every one of us in this room, from the youngest to the oldest, to grow. But beware, be aware and beware of those times when you hear something and you go, you know, that, that sounds pretty good. I promise you, the Holy Spirit will stir within you to help you understand, you need to look at this a little bit closer. You need to look at this through the lens of the Holy Spirit and through God's writings, through the writings that we have in our Bible, to understand, is this an itching ear moment, or is it truly another part of our, our growth? Well, here we're going to find, in just a few more minutes, for the next section, what was actually going on with the Corinthians Skip a few verses down to verse 12. Chapter 15, verse 12. Now, he had already talked about those four that's with the third that being Christ was raised according to the scriptures. And so verse 12 says, but if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, everybody nod your heads, yes, it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how then can some of you say there's no such thing as resurrection of the dead? What in the world's going on here? Here are people that have said, I plant my flag, I take my stand on the traditions, on, on the gospel that you preach, that Christ, was, that Christ died for my sins, he was buried, that he was resurrected, that he appeared. And so, yes, I believe in the resurrection of Christ, but I don't believe the resurrection about everybody else. Is anything more illogical than that? That's what they were facing. That's the core of why Paul had to write these words. Now, let me pick up my time here. Oh, we got plenty of time. Cowboys aren't even playing today. 
Rangers have time to lose another one. <gasps> Did I say that? I'm so sorry. I started to make a, a very inappropriate uh, joke about or humorous moment about me and Danny being up here about is he Araldus Chapman or me? I'm not sure which. So you Ranger fans will know what I'm talking about. Um, he goes on to say, if there's no, how can some of you say there's no resurrection of the dead? If there's no resurrection of the dead, if that's true, and some of you are saying that it is, well, then Christ has not even been raised. And if Christ hasn't been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. That's what Paul had just been telling them, that, that, um, that God raised Christ from the dead. Verse, uh, where are we? 15 and a half. But he did not raise him if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. Then those, who have, those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. And if only for this life we have hope, in Christ, the we of all people are the most to be pitied. Now, I don't know about you, but a lot of times when I read Paul's writings, I start, he is so, I don't know how to phrase it. Maybe it's just the way my brain is wired. I read, 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 and I get to the end and I go, what did I just read? And especially uh, Romans, Romans 6 and 7. Um, it's, it's not that it's convoluted, but I have to take a step back. In fact, I, uh, Testimony time. I'm a bullet person. When I put my notes down, I got to have bullets. You know, let's just give me the basics. Give me the simple part. Let me see exactly what you're talking about. And so I have done that with this. Now, as we read about this and I get to my bullets, here's what, what I come up with in one, one particular case. They say that Christ has been raised from the dead, but there's no such thing as resurrection. There's no such thing as resurrection of the dead for others. So what? What difference does that make? In other words, is it true for Christ but not true for everybody else? What difference does it make? Now, Paul, in what we just read, is saying makes a big difference. Now, in my thoughts and my study and reflection, I was led down a little bit of a rabbit path that is, I think, appropriately, it's appropriate for me and I want to share it with you. It has to do with saying one thing, but our actions being something different. Saying, in this case, the, as they said, Christ has been raised from the dead, but we don't believe in the resurrection. It's the idea of consequences and inconsistencies. When you have inconsistencies in your life between what you say and what you do, there are some consequences to it. So if you'll permit me to go down a very short rabbit path, it won't take us long, and we won't go very far. But in Paul's writings, I was drawn by, since we're in 1 Corinthians, I was drawn back to 1 Corinthians 13, that great chapter on love. Wonderful chapter. In the middle portion of that, that chapter is broken into three basic sections. The middle section is where it says, love is this, love is this, love is this, love doesn't do this, and so on. So I took it and I kind of retooled it a little bit. And I say to you as a Christian, I love you, Christian love. I love you. And you hear me say that and you go, wow, that's great. He loves us. I love you. I could call out your names 
And, and I would mean it deeply in my mind. I love you, fill in the blank, with Christian love. But if I say that and I'm impatient with you, what do you think? Or if I say I love you and I'm unkind, now you're beginning to wonder, well, he, he says he does, but he doesn't act like it. I say I love you, but I'm envious. I say I love you, but I'm boastful. I say I love you, but I'm full of pride and I'm dishonest. I say I love you, but I'm self-centered. I say I love you, but I'm so easily angered. And the last two of that little list hit home all too often. I say I love you, but I keep a list of wrongs. In other words, I hold a grudge. And I've heard this said often in a situation where there is strife among friends, family, whatever. Well, I, I could just never forgive them. That's keeping a list of something. And yet we say we love them. But it's inconsistent. And the last one is, I will delight in evil. I say I love you, but I delight in evil. And this one comes across to me as, well, he, he or she just had it coming. I feel good about that. Oh, I love you. I love you. But boy, they had that coming. And I'm too guilty of some of those sometimes. It, and I realize that's a little bit of a rabbit path, a rabbit trail, chasing a rabbit from what we're talking about. But it's not. Because it has to do with the importance of, of statements, of beliefs that we say we're, we're rock solid on, but we don't show it in our actions. And that's just what Paul is digging in with these folks. It's just illogical. And as I went through my bullet points to summarize that portion from verses 12 to 19, and Lee actually touched on this last week when he, I don't know if you remembered his sermon in its details, I was listening to him. And I, I, I knew what I was going to do this week, last week. I already had it, frameworks laid out. And so as, as he's sharing about those unseen battles, all of a sudden, he's, he's using my bullet points, and I wanted to stand up and say, Lee, hold it, hold it, stop. I'm doing that next week. Well, you're going to get a double dose of it then. Maybe that's what the Holy Spirit is, is saying to us is, you need to be reminded. I need to be reminded. We all need to be reminded. If it is true that Christ has not been raised from the dead, then what I'm doing right now is of no use whatsoever. I'm just standing up here filling time, and you're sitting here filling time while we could be doing something else. The faith that you say and I say I have in my life, it's absolutely useless. Maybe worse, we're liars about what we say about God. And we say God is a liar. Our faith is empty. I'm still lost. And I'm still in my sins. And I think back to that moment when I was nine years old, and those are the moments when I made recommitments of my life and all those moments when I have professed my faith in Christ, I'm still lost. I'm still in my sins. The dead in Christ are still lost. And we are the most pitiful people in all the world. Now think of pitiful people. You fill in your personal blanks. Oh, bless their hearts. They're just they're so, so sad. What a terrible situation. Paul says we're worse. 
if we don't believe that Christ has been raised from the dead. And every now and then, I, I like Paul because I think he throws in a little zinger and he qu quotes from one of their quotes. It's way over in verse uh, 32. We weren't going that far and it's not on the screen, so don't bother looking up there. He said, well, if it's true that the dead are not raised and Christ didn't raise, let's just eat and drink for tomorrow we die. Let's just hoop it up. And that's what Lee was saying last week too. You know, let's go out to the lake today. You know, let's go out and play in the rain. No, we don't have rain, sorry. Uh, just, just whoop it up. It doesn't make any difference whatsoever. Whatever ism you want to embrace, go ahead and embrace it. If Christ didn't raise, what was raised from the dead? And so what a great capstone that starts out with, uh, brothers and sisters, I need to remind you of something. I need to remind you of something. I need to remind you of that cornerstone and it was those four that's. So as sincere as the Corinthians were, they had some theological confusion that, that needed to be corrected. And Paul uses, even though, as I admitted a while ago, sometimes his sentence structure gets me a little bit turned around. He used very blunt language. And he was uncompromisingly clear about what he was discussing here. And he ends that section by saying, however, in verse 20, now I'm flipping back to where we had on the screen, that Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. And again, I close with a verse in, in chapter 15 that I didn't put on the screen. My apologies for that. But it's, it's Paul's capstone to the entire discussion in verse 58. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, stand firm. He echoes back to what he was saying about that first importance. My brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. So what I take away from this is I prepared, and I hope you'll find your own takeaways from, from this time together in God's Word, is there are several things. One is we really do need to be reminded from time to time. Um, well, actually, let me go back before that. I hope I would move beyond that where I don't have to be reminded. I hope that I've got such a grasp on those foundational things. But, you know, we're all human, and... Uh, I can't predict what will happen to you in the future or me in the future as far as um, new revelations, new discoveries. Uh, maybe, maybe I'll have itching ears one of these days. I hope not. Take heed lest you yourself fall. So it's a great warning. And it's so simple to remember. Death, burial, resurrection, and appearances. And praise God that we are not the most pitiful of all people in the world. We are people who have that, that message of hope, that message of joy, that message of, of satisfaction. Uh, all the songs that we sang today are because of the truth of what we just got through reading here. And that's my prayer. That's what Lee and, and Matt and Nathan are doing, is sharing with those people 
those Cambodians, who, by the way, are probably faced more and more than we will ever imagine with having taken their stand on what we just read and yet having Buddhist family members, Buddhist friends, Buddhist leaders either whisper at them or shout at them that they're crazy, they need to change. What do you mean leaving the faith of your fathers for this strange, weird thing? So much, though, that I would remind you that last year when the uh, conference was over and Lee and the group came back, they reported that three days after the end of the conference, one of the pastors returned to his home and was sharing the joy of his understanding what he had learned, and he was taken by a group of dissidents and was drowned in one of the local rivers. He lost his life over his statement of his faith. We, we can't even imagine that. We're not anywhere close to that kind of persecution. I pray that we will never get to that place. But as it is, what we have is just absolutely amazing. That's kind of my prayer for us today is that we remember what we have placed our flag in, what we have taken our stand on, and rejoice in that as we share it with others who don't have that. Let's take a moment to pray, shall we? Father God, thank you that we have this time each Sunday to come together and hear your word. We know that your word is clear, but your word sometimes needs deeper reflection. We also know that your word is convicting. And so I pray, Lord, that they, as we read about people that we can call our brothers and sisters in Corinth, who we assume made their stand, and yet they had confusion, that this very simple reminder of a foundation of our faith is what uh, helps us to grow and to grow deeper in our knowledge of you, but also in our likeness of you. I just pray, Lord, today that this is how you'll speak to each one of us today in whatever way that you choose. Thank you that we have the time to worship. Thank you that we have the freedom to worship. Thank you for those who have moved out to share in other places around this world. And may we continue to have those opportunities to serve you in Christ's name. Amen. Ushers, will you come forward?